So in an environment that demands efficiency, Japanese team will excel. If it's clear what needs to be done and who should do what, you'll be amazed what people can do. But obviously the world is anything but predictable. It demands speed, sometimes even at the expense of quality. Welcome to the Agile Digital Transformation Podcast, where we explore different aspects of digital transformation and digital experience with your host, Tim Butera, Content and Community Manager at Agile Drop. Hello, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. Our guest today is Younes Herridge, founder and CEO of Alcomo. They're a technology company based in Tokyo, Japan, which is focused on helping organizations drive innovation and transformation through modern technologies and modern approaches. In today's episode, we'll be discussing the role of culture for effective digital transformation, and we'll be drawing from Eunice's unique experience of leading IT teams for different Japanese companies. Welcome, Eunice. It's great having you here. Anything you'd like to add to the intro, or should we just proceed with our questions? Thanks, Tim, for having me here. Um, I think we could just dive into it. Okay, so maybe let's start with something basic. Maybe can you tell me why would you say the role of culture is so important for effective transformation? And has this always been the case or has it maybe become more pronounced, more prominent during the COVID crisis? Okay, first, it's a great question. I, uh, so just to put some context, I've been in Japan for about 20 plus years. So um. I'll share from my experience, observations, failures, and uh, lesson learned. So experiences uh, such as being the um, the only foreigner uh, in the training program at Sony, for example. Like then it was Sony Ericsson uh, after graduation. Experience being part of the uh, of culturally diverse teams and and experience leading uh, teams, both Japanese and and uh, you know mixed culturally diverse. So um. Uh, in the context of digital transformation, the, there is a lot of emphasis on the first part, digital, which is absolutely important. So to be digital, organizations need to put technology at the core. Um, but um, only when you have the, uh, the right environment. So um, culture is, is really key um, to the, uh, the second part of the digital transformation, which is transformation. So uh, transformation, um, as you may know, means change and sometimes dramatic change. Um, so done by people and it impacts people. In fact, it's uh, it's, it's interesting because um, I gave a 15-minute talk uh, at the Future of HR conference last month titled Cultural Transformation Through Social Technologies and uh, Design Thinking. And, and it was all about building the, the right environment for, uh, for people to, to succeed. And I, um, I started by um, uh, talking about Agile Manifesto uh, and how a group of um, brilliant engineers, uh, architects and, and software developers got together to find an alternative to the existing uh, software delivery processes that um, they uh, saw were complicated, slow and uh, inresponsive. Um, the Agile, uh, this Agile Manifesto had uh, laid the foundation for DevOps and all its flavors, um, like uh, GitOps, uh, DataOps, MLOps, etc. And he has 12 principles. And the first principle is individuals and interactions over processes and tools. And he just you know, shows the importance of, of, of really people uh, and interactions over, over technology. And, um, and I also quoted a, um, a study by McKinsey and, and PwC. I think the PwC study found a 
75% of, of change initiatives will fail all due to a lack of uh, digital culture. So um, um, when we talk about organizational culture, we obviously we talk about the collective behavior of, uh, by people within the organization. Um, but the interesting thing is but for organizations to understand and acknowledge that culture is, is vital to you know, their, their, their strategy and uh, achieving their goals, Really, organizations need to put people at the at the center. And then when you recognize that the uh, the business is people, not the product, not the process, then then you start seeing the importance of, of culture. And there's a quote I'm um, trying to remember from uh, I think Dr. Wayne Dyer, if I, if I uh, spell his name uh, properly. Um, and it's um, it says when you change the way you look at things, uh, the things you look at change. And and I think it's true for, for culture when you put people at, at, at the center, you start seeing that. Really, culture is, is vital and important. And, and obviously here we, we, we talk about, you know, team structure, core values, interactions, decision-making, um, you know, uh, management, et cetera. Um, so if the culture is optimized for efficiency, um, but your digital strategy demands agility and, uh, and adaptability, all you will get is efficiency. It's like um, I was talking to, to, to a friend uh, the other day, and uh, we, we were likening it to, um, you know, planting the seed of pumpkin and expecting watermelon, uh, which I see organizations um, do all the time. So, um, yeah, culture is vital to the success of digital transformation and, and beyond. Now, you mentioned on the second part of your question, I think, uh, the pandemic and mm-hmm. its impacts. Obviously, the pandemic happened, fortunately, and, uh, and it just proves that the world we live in is uh, unpredictable, interconnected and, and fast-paced. And, and the pandemic had, had, uh, has had an impact on, on the workplace uh, culture. The global lockdown and the travel bans have depended, you know, assumptions about the nature of work and, and corporate interactions. Organizations who are digitally matured and have culture that is conducive to agility could take advantage of the new reality, um, you know, providing digital services, etc. Um, you see impact um, on teams. Some teams are more productive because of the ability to work from home um, and because of the trust and autonomy that, that these teams enjoy. But on the other hand, I've seen more burnout, burnout than ever because uh, of the number of um, you know video calls people need to attend just to show they're there or and that they are not slacking off. And uh, so, and it's not just interactions within organizations. Customers and organization interactions have also seen big change. The last year, I had to cancel my trip to Dubai, and I could uh, cancel it. I can cancel my flight through a, a tweet, and uh, and I realize when I thought uh, that organizations who empower their um, customer service to make you know decision timely decisions will definitely be able to shine uh, as more customers you know move to social media etc so in the case of Japan I think the pandemic exposed structural and digital deficiencies in organizations and um, government agencies I think um, I don't know if you we heard um, it was reported that COVID cases uh, numbers were, were actually faxed between agencies using fax uh, machines. <laughs> uh, you can imagine human errors you know, happen. And um, people overnight need needed to work remotely. Um, so one big uh, service provider um, system went down because everyone was trying to log in remotely. Uh, it couldn't not scale uh, and adapt. And on, on the other hand, uh, Nimble uh, startups and businesses were, were more creative and, uh, and innovative. So, um, and so one of the focus in, in, in what we do in Alcomo is, is really helping organizations build a digital environment uh, to um, improve employee experience and, and help customers build 
the digital culture needed in, in order to build adaptability and uh, and agility and try not to be you know among the 70% 75% that PwC study uh, mentioned so but yeah yeah that's a great way to kick off the episode and kind of set set the tone and context for for our further discussions where we'll be going more in depth and and, and maybe I want to continue since we already started talking about the uniqueness of uh, Japanese culture and and how how uh, Japanese companies uh, had certain specifics uh, with how they functioned during during the crisis, how they operated throughout the pandemic. So in what other ways is, is Japanese culture unique and how does that affect how companies do business? Mm, very, very good point. And, well, I would put omoyari at the top. Uh, omoyari means empathy. If you ever bought Japanese goods in a supermarket, for example, uh, you would notice that the packaged uh, products would come at, with a visual explanation, and you will be, you know, easily know how to open it. Uh, you know, stress-free. Uh, if you watched maybe the opening ceremony of the 2020 Tokyo Olympics, you would see um, the presentation about the pictograms. You know, new sports picture pictograms were added this year, um, and these pictograms were first created and introduced by Japan during the 1964 Olympics. Uh, this is an excellent example of omoyari. So omoyari is really everywhere in Japan, from product design, trains, and an airport's announcements. Um, in fact, my Japanese teacher once told me that she missed her plane when she was abroad because she was waiting for an announcement, which never happened. <laughs> and I couldn't believe it until actually it happened to me, because you just get used to, to that, the, you know, the, the ease at which you get information here in Japan. Um, mm-hmm. So omoyari is, is also part of how Japanese do businesses. Businesses expect their vendors or service providers to have omoyari to not let them think much, you know, to provide exceptional service. It is critical to consider what, um, you know, your Japanese customer uh, is likely to need and proactively present it. The other thing is um, efficiency and, and quality. Uh, Japan is famous for taking concept, honing it and making it perfect. Japan has one of the most complex train network in the world, yet trains are always on time. Everything is built for efficiency. Japanese in general really demand quality in products and services. You probably have heard of the concept of monosukuri and, uh, and kaizen, you know, uh, quite important. These, these concepts emphasize quality and continuous improvement. So Japanese, are, 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 you probably know, Japanese are very proud of the phrase made in Japan. Mm-hmm. So if we talk about organizational structure uh, and culture, like uh, the, uh, in the context of organizational structure, then we, and I can sh- maybe talk about how Japan is, um, you know, consensus-based culture. You may have heard of the concept of nimawashi, a consensus building technique um, to, to reach decisions. It's a, a process, like it's informal, uh, but it sometimes can be lengthy. And Japan, Japanese or Japanese culture, uh, avoids confrontation, so uh, you need to be careful how you provide, how you give feedback, especially ne- uh, negative feedback. Uh, trust is based on relationship, not how great your service is. So it's hard for new startups without a track record to penetrate markets. Uh, you see, you know, uh, on corporate websites, companies showcasing like whom they do business with, the certificates they have, and even which bank the company uses for its operations. Just you know, to show that uh, they're legit. <laughs> um, so, and, uh, and another thing is uh, Japanese culture is really uh, what we call high context culture. 
much communication goes on goes on non-verbally through subtle gestures, facial expressions, and voice tones. Uh, and the goal is always group harmony. This is um, a, a, a it's perfect for a homogenous and well-established culture. But you know, the moment you start mixing people you know, from different cultures, miscommunications happen. I've seen this in in, in projects, and, and the result, you know, the result was chaos. Um, and I had to step in many times to ensure all parties understood what needed to be done and uh, you know who would do what and by when and maybe a little bit more on this later so the um, the the ability to read between the lines is really important the last you know aspect i want to maybe mention is japanese culture is hierarchic is is, uh, is is based on hierarchy hierarchy is extremely important in in, in japanese corporate culture the status in an organization determines how members interact with each other and how they expect others to interact with them. So you need to pay attention to the hierarchy structure or hierarchical structure of the team of teams of, of teams like customer teams or your service provider and match it closely as closely as possible on your side. Say, for example, a, a Japanese vendor team has a senior manager um, and a middle-level manager, for example, um, and the junior staff. You need to match the Japanese vendor's team structure as close as possible. A rule that I broke many times, actually, I would sometimes just join even if teams had only juniors just to get things done. And uh, so, so yeah, so these are, yeah, these are some aspects uh, like, you know, showcasing the uniqueness in, in, in Japanese culture. And yeah, maybe tying to your point about efficiency, didn't Japan actually kind of come up with a kind of precursor to, to agile methodologies? Exactly, and that's uh, Kaizen. I think that's uh, mm-hmm. that's the Kaizen, uh, mm-hmm. and that was the uh, genesis. And I wouldn't say genesis, but um, uh, it was the foundation for for the lean thinking, mm-hmm. uh, for the for the agile, for the continuous improvement, and uh, and yeah, no, absolutely right. Yeah, yeah, that that to me is a very fascinating part of the Japanese culture. You know, this kind of this this perfect balance of empathy, efficiency. And I would say a kind of, I'm not sure if politeness is the right word, but, but I, I think I mean politeness in kind of this moral sense of, you know, of compassion and kind of, you mentioned, what was the expression you mentioned earlier, common harmony or something like that? Right. So there's a group harmony mm-hmm. uh, and there's the omoyari, uh, which is mm-hmm. empathy, which is thinking about the, the other. And uh, that's, yeah. You mentioned like right now at the end, you mentioned vendors or service providers. So maybe can you tell us a little bit more about this, about the role that they play in all this? And maybe if there is a difference between, you know, Japanese service providers working with Japanese companies and foreign service providers working with Japanese companies. Right. So um, I think this is actually an important point. I think Japanese vendors and service providers, in my opinion, are one reason why Japan, uh, Japan's digital agenda is still behind. Mm-hmm. Um, strong vendor dependency among Japanese business is, is part of it. Organizations tend to outsource their IT functions or part of it to vendors uh, and system integrators. And obviously that comes at the price, heavy customization, heavy vendor lock ownership. I've seen some contracts for which you need an army of, of lawyers to understand what is being provided, who owns what and what is a SLA, et cetera. And also the lack of skills in organizations that not, does not help. Uh, so organizations blindly trust their service providers. And so, you know, they, they, they say you're the average of five people you spend, uh, of the five people you spend time with. And I, I really think 
uh, a similar concept apply, uh, applies to organizations. Your vendors and service providers can make you or break you. Uh, I think in our in organizations' agility and the success of its, of its uh, digital transformation are significantly impacted by its vendors' capabilities. I think you can be digital if your integrators or you know, partners are not. You can be nimble if you are dragged by the legacy and slowness of, of, of your suppliers and vendors and partners. Mm-hmm. So, um, so to be, I think to be digital, digital agile, um, I, I firmly believe that you need a network of modern partners who are agile digital and, and, and truly customer-centric, truly invested in your, in your success. And another, another reason is the risk-averse nature of Japanese business, prevent them from taking uh, chances on small startups. This comes back to the trust we discussed earlier. There are many amazing startups and amazing products coming out of university labs. Japanese companies need to take a chance on, on these smart people. The language and, culture, uh, and cultural aspect that we discussed earlier are big barriers when it comes to foreign service providers. So um, at Aokomo, we work hard to be uh, the modern digital partner Japanese businesses need. One of our strengths is global reach and local impact. We believe that there should be a better way to engage with Japanese businesses through what we call co-sourcing and co-creation. And then obviously we're very happy to partner with global service providers to bring value to, to our Japanese customers. So, have you been seeing any other major changes to Japanese culture apart from what we discussed early on in the call? And, and you know, if so, how have these affected how Japanese businesses operate now uh, versus, you know, how they operate, operated maybe before the crisis? Right. So I think the obvious one is, is working remotely. More people are moving to rural areas across Japan new lifestyles uh, emerge due to the pandemic. Uh, we see more companies migrate into the cloud and SaaS, uh, SaaS services. Um, and I think that the re- realization that remote work is a key differentiator when hiring. Companies that are not remote work friendly are losing talent to startups that are embracing remote. And I think this is going to be a, a key factor in, uh, in hiring going forward. Also, innovation in business models. Later, you see the proliferation of shops without stuff and not just food, but also clothing, for example, where you enter a shop, you pick what you want, try and pay through a QR code. Sometimes you just put money in the bin. I think only happens in Japan. Innovations in subscription-based products and services. I think there was a subscription-based diaper, providing diapers to kindergarten. Uh, <laughs> So you see companies, um, you know, uh, you know, innovate, which is great, but still a lot behind, behind in terms of, you know, infrastructure. And then, um, so I think remote is big. You see companies even going as far as selling their order, uh, moving to small islands. And this was unthinkable before. Still, many companies are, are still asking for people to come back to offices and, and go the other way, uh, 100% office. So, yeah, I think remote is big, a uh, big change. So in this sense, it's not actually that that different from the cultures of, you know, basically, let, let just, let's just call it what it is, the whole world, basically. Maybe another thing that I wanted to ask you is what are some of maybe some of the main challenges that Japanese companies face because of these, these culture characteristics and maybe how do they compare to the advantages that are caused by these characteristics? Um, okay, so this going back to the, the aspect of the, of the uniqueness of the culture, right? Mm-hmm. 
I would start, I think I would start from a efficiency and quality. So made in Japan embodies all the advantages of such unique culture, quality and efficiency. So in an environment that demands efficiency, uh, Japanese team will excel. If it's clear what needs to be done and who should do what, you'll be amazed what uh, people can do. Um, but obviously, the world is anything but predictable. It demands speed, sometimes even at the expense of quality. Um, I think Reed Hoffman said, if you're not embarrassed by the first version of your product, you've, you've uh, launched too late. So, um, so the, the focus on, 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 uh, on, on quality sometimes you know, get in the way. Nemawashi, uh, which concept about uh, you know, decision-making, brings, you know, is, is good in a way. It brings con- contextual awareness, which is, um, which is good but can be slow and may not necessarily reflect the changing environment. So people making decisions are not always, you know, from the front lines. Uh, so this is another, uh, another aspect that uh, it can be good, but also um, disadvantage. Uh, so most organizations are um, structured to maximize efficiency through, you know, silo department and teams and, uh, and that creates frictions and slows things down. So you really want, fast decision-making, delivery, quick feedback loop, et cetera. Trust is, a, is another, another thing which can be both uh, you know, great and, and, and disadvantageous. So as I mentioned earlier, uh, is a relation based. So once big companies trust you by working with you, it becomes easier to do business. And that brings more customers, creates a virtual cycle. But if, if not, if you're not known, then, then you know, it's, it's hard. Communication, what we call kuki yomu, so that that uh, subtle that that read reading between the line, is another thing. Um, the communication within a homogenous team, like like you know j- just a team of, um, composed of Japanese, can be quick and, and very efficient. But it gets challenging when you when you start building cul- uh, culturally di- diverse teams, uh, especially when you mix people with different communication styles. Um, and then, yeah, and then you know. Uh, I, I read, uh, you probably know, The Cultural Map by Erin Meyer, a great book that I recommend reading. And then you start understanding why. And I start asking actually people to, to, to read the book. Following the rule is another uh, uniqueness. In Japan, people, as you know, follow the rules. Or in the case, like, for example, let's take uh, mask wearing. It's, it's actually for mask wearing, it's a mix of omoyori and, uh, and peer pressure. So, mm. um, and I think the, the, the low COVID 19 infection rate is sometimes attributed to people wearing uh, wearing masks. People follow the spoken wear mask uh, rule. And this is amazing when rules are clear, uh, but when you have chaos, when things are, you know change rapidly and, and you need to adapt, following the rules or manuals can can be counterproductive. And uh, you know, Aokumo, we we're building a global and culturally diverse team born out of Tokyo. So we try to embrace many aspects of, of Japanese culture. As I mentioned earlier, omoyari is one, is a huge one. Monodzukuri um, concept, kaizen, the shingitai, I, I haven't spoken about shingitai. It's a concept used in martial arts like judo. It talks about the balance between you know, the, the mind and, and, and the structure or, or body and, and uh, technique or technology. So um, uh, while ensuring that, you know the teams have the contextual uh, awareness and autonomy to you know, to navigate the you know uncertainty and, and even thrive in it. We're also helping our customers get custom to working in culturally diverse teams through you know workshops and tools like Obia, something like uh, the War Room, where people from different teams come together you know to, to achieve certain outcome. 
Mm, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, maybe in this final bit of the episode, we mostly we focused mostly on theory. We barely dove into any practical examples. Maybe can we now dedicate a few minutes or, or, or a part of this episode to you telling us or maybe giving us a few examples of what it's like to actually lead a Japanese team and maybe, you know, share a particularly interesting case or challenge with us and our listeners. This goes back to the cultural aspect we discussed earlier. Uh, leading teams uh, that, you know, speak the same language is hard enough. But when you throw in language bar- uh, barriers, cultural differences, different communication styles in the mix, boy, you need counseling from time to time, I can <laughs> tell you. Um, luckily, my bosses were, were amazing and understanding. They would listen. So you need people to, to help put systems in place to make sure your information you know, flows uh, without uh, miscommunication, without misunderstanding, without loss, um, and bring everyone under the same understanding, the same vision. Sometimes you may ask people to read the cultural map book that I mentioned earlier. Giving feedback is uh, in the current way that matches the cultural context is, is essential. You, uh, you need to make everyone trust each other and uh, know each other on a personal level. Read between the line culture. Also, need to be careful about what you say and what you do. So you really need to walk the talk. Um, I've, I'll give some examples. Being an engineer, you sometimes get excited when you get a call because uh, you know the CTO, and uh, so you get a call two a.m. in the morning, you know, because of an outage, and uh, you know you 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 ask questions and uh, you propose a fix, you get fixed, you feel good, you ask people to you know provide a smart uh, the next day and uh, make sure that things never happen. And then you know one on one you you ask people you know to to take ownership to be owner. But on the other side you're also you know asking them to call you whenever uh, something goes wrong and uh, you know and this is what would they would do. So they live they never uh, learn to you know you ask them to, to take ownership uh, but you but then uh, you don't create it. The, you don't explain first what the ownership means in, in certain contexts, and, and then you ask them to. You don't give them the, the, the opportunity and the chance to be ownership. That, that, uh, and uh, this is so. Sometimes it's really uh, you're you're sending mixed signals, and that's uh, it can be uh, not how I call it uh, productive. Uh, mm-hmm. So um, you need to balance between being hands on and 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 when to coach and mentor and make sure. You are, you know, growing self-motivated, self-sufficient, and self-accountable individuals and leaders, not followers. And then, and also, like how to strike the right balance between giving teams the flexibility to choose their tools and, and maintaining the uh, while maintaining the required level uh, of consistency and uh, standardization. And this is where having a platform team is essential. When you get it right, you see a lot of success. When you get it wrong, you build the wrong thing, and you you may still deliver, but how the team is burned out, and I've experienced that. But um, but I can share maybe an, a positive example. One of our first cloud center of excellence um, team achieved enormous success because it was um, diverse enough to allow for creative thinking without you know the overhead of the lost in translation problem that we sometimes see in a culturally diverse team operating with our culture map. So uh, the team was autonomous and in in understood well um, the overall goals um, and the impact on the overall mission. And it was a great, uh, great success. 
Mm, yeah, yeah, I, I imagine that, that there are definitely some extra things that you need to consider. Uh, and obviously, you, you have a lot of experience in that since, you know, you worked in those settings for, for quite some time and led teams in those settings. Well, and I'm guessing that if anybody from the audience who's listening right now would like to learn more, maybe talk with you uh, or, or learn more examples from you, uh, they can they can reach out to you and, you know, find out more about you there. Uh, where can they do that? I'm on Twitter and on LinkedIn. Heyridge, I think you just have to type Heyridge Yunus and uh, you probably get my uh, LinkedIn. Yeah. Okay. And uh, in any case, I'll include the links to, to those in the show notes so that people viewing the episode can, can contact you right away. Perfect. Okay. Thank you so much, Yunus, for joining me today, for being our guest. It's been a pleasure speaking with you and I hope our listeners enjoy the episode as well. Thanks, Tim. My pleasure is all mine. And to our listeners, that's all for this episode. Have a great day, everyone, and stay safe. Thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to check out our other episodes, you can find all of them at agiledrop.com slash podcast, as well as on all the most popular podcasting platforms. Make sure to subscribe so you don't miss any new episodes. And don't forget to share the podcast with your friends and colleagues.